Again, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, if you haven't already done that. And while you're doing that, I would say turn, uh, also find your place in Matthew 16, because we're going to be there as well. But this morning, we're going to continue our studies of the book of Ephesians, and we're going to be looking at part three of a study I've titled, The Household of God. Our main text is Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22. And in part three today, our, studying, uh, our starting verses are going to be Ephesians 2, actually 19 through 22. We're going to look at those verses here uh, to start. And so begin with me. You don't have to read out loud. I'll do it for us, but read along. Ephesians 2, 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom, also, uh, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. In these final verses of chapter 2, Paul's driving home what he's been writing about regarding in the previous verses how important and amazing this unity is that Jesus has brought about, this new humanity that Jesus has created, this new family that Jesus died uh, to bring us into. And now here we're seeing in these verses three things that we've been made a part of, Uh, God's kingdom, God's family, and God's building or his temple, we could say. But before looking at how we've been made part of God's building or his temple, I want to reinforce some things that we considered last week regarding what we've been made a part of as Jesus' church. Um, I, I mentioned last week how some of us can approach this idea of being a part of God's kingdom or a part of God's family, and some of us might have some past history, some past baggage, some preconceived notions of when we look at those statements or we see those things and we think about those truths, it, it might be a little difficult for us because of the things that we've been through in the past or experiences with being a part of a local church fellowship in the past, that when we see this, we're not really fully able to embrace it. If any of you read those verses and you're almost, it's almost like you're, you're reading it as a stranger and foreigner. Like you're seeing it from afar. You're like, that sounds great. I like what Jared's presenting. Like that, that's, that's all good. And yes, it starts with me and, and all those things that we looked at last week. But then not really, emb- we don't really embrace it. We don't like fully step into what that means for us because we're still having a hard time. And, and I think it's important for us um, to um, have some reminders to have the right perspective and, and to gain that right perspective by seeing Jesus' commitment to his church, to us, in a handful of ways this morning. Not only to reinforce why it's such a, a gift, why it's such a blessing to be made of a, a part of God's kingdom and to be made part of God's family, as we saw last week, but also so that we'll be able to see the blessing and the gift that it is to be made part of God's building or temple, along with other things that we're going to consider in our future studies of uh, the book of Ephesians, with the right lens, 
You ever read something and you're just like, you have this like thing in your mind where when you read it, all of a sudden you come to your own conclusion about it. And it it's, doesn't really match up with what you're seeing in God's word because in God's word, is, it's presented as this amazing thing, this amazing blessing, this joyous thing, this peace-filled thing. And then you're, you're reading it and what you come away with is kind of like, I just want to read past it faster. Like, let's skip on to the next verse. Let's go to the next chapter. Let's look at a different book. But sometimes we need to kind of be confronted in a good way with some of these things. So that when we read this and we're going through the book of Ephesians, which again, it's written to a church. So in the context of what Paul's writing, he's writing in the context of a church that in, the church, in a church setting, in a local fellowship setting, we would grab a hold of these things and go, this is for us. This is for me, but it's also for us. And maybe you didn't want to hear that this morning, but that's what it is, and you're going to have to sit through it, unless you leave, which I hope you don't. You're like, that's where we're going to this morning, Jared? As I said last week, God making us part of his kingdom, part of his family, it's not an act of cruelty. He's not being cruel. It's an act of his great love and care for each of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ. But I believe we also see in these verses that we just read that it's also an act of his great commitment to us as his church, as his people. And we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning examining this further, and we're actually going to include a couple passages from the book of Ephesians, sort of a, 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 a quick sort of snapshot of things to come. And so you can leave your place in Ephesians, turn with me to Matthew 16. We're going to read verses 13 through 18. So Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Kind of a famous statement, at least for sure in our church. It's something that we've talked about in the past, a statement of Peter's, something that the Father revealed to Peter. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of the living God. I, I, knowing sort of Peter from the Scriptures, I can only imagine that when Jesus responds, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, that all of a sudden Peter brightens up and starts kind of, I did good, Jesus. 
This rock, this confession, this massive thing that Peter had just declared about Jesus. You're the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. The one foretold in the Old Testament by the prophets that was to come. To be king of Israel, the savior of humanity. God with us. You're the son of the living God. That confession is what the church of Jesus is built upon. Because if that massive stone, if that foundation's not there, everything crumbles. Because there's there's no reliability elsewhere. If Jesus isn't the foundation, we're going to look at this next week. If he's not the the foundation, if he's not the cornerstone, this thing doesn't work. And we've seen throughout history what happens when When Jesus is in the centerpiece of his church, when it becomes about other things, what happens? How weird does stuff get? How does a crusade happen? Right? How do these things happen? Well, it happens when we stop keeping Jesus central, when we stop keeping his word central, and we make it about us, we make it about this other other thing, our mission, our thing that we want, our priorities, instead of what... Jesus has said what his, what his apostles have written down for us by the inspiration of his spirit. We're going to focus on these four reminders this morning regarding the household of God, regarding Jesus' church, Jesus' commitment to his church, to us, so that we have the right perspective on this, and with having the right perspective, also be on board with and be committed to Jesus' church like Jesus is. And so the first thing, the first reminder for us to keep in mind so we gain the right perspective here is that Jesus, first and foremost, is committed to his church. Notice in Matthew 16, 18, that Jesus said regarding the church, it is my church. It's my church. Now, if you haven't been a part of maybe this specific church for a, a, you know long enough to hear this, this is the first time the word church is ever found in Scripture. You know that Jesus says the word church twice in the Gospels, and once it's his, his possession, like it's mine, I'm going to build it, I'm going to protect it. The other time that Jesus references the church is when he talks about problems between people within the church. He talks about people sinning against one another and how to do it, how to handle that, how to respond. And so Jesus, in one hand, he's going, it's mine, I've got a plan, I'm gonna build it, I'm gonna protect it, and he's like, and there's gonna be problems. You're gonna sin against one another. You're gonna offend one another. You're gonna rub each other the wrong way. Somebody's going to say something you don't like, do something that you don't like. And you got to know how to deal with it because it's my church and, and I get to say what happens in my church, right? He's the one who has the authority. If he built it, if he created it, he gets to say what happens. And so the church is not... The invention of man. You ever heard someone say that? People 
created the church and they did this and this is what happened. It's like, no, no, it's actually not true. Jesus created the first time it's ever even found in the scripture. Jesus said it out of his mouth. And this is a powerful declaration regarding Jesus' called out people. That's what a church is. It's an assembly of called out people. And notice Jesus, Jesus didn't say, I will build the church. He said, my church. And so he didn't see it as some institution that was distant and separate from himself. He didn't see it as a corporation that he's just the CEO of. And you know what? I don't really need to have a relationship with any of the people within my company. Like, I'll delegate that to other people. You can know me from afar. You can know about me. No, it's his. We're his people. This is his creation. We belong to him. And both Jesus' declaration here in Matthew 16 and Paul's statement in Colossians 1, 18, where we're told that Jesus is the head of the body, the church, let us know who's really in charge. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. He's the boss. He's the one who calls the shots. He's the one with all the authority. He's the one who gets to make the rules. He's the one who's created the blueprint. And man, when stuff's done his way, it's so much better. So much better. But, but something else to keep in mind is that in Scripture, the church is called the bride of Christ which further reinforces this reminder, this truth, that Jesus is committed to his church. Jesus' commitment to his church, his bride, should shape how we view and speak about and engage or interact with Jesus' church, his bride. Now, for those in here who are married, we can bring some personal application here, right? And I've used this example in the past. My beautiful bride over here and I. We celebrated our 22nd wedding anniversary this past October. And if someone said to me, I love you, Jared, but I don't love your wife. And I don't really like her. I'd be like, say what now? <laughs> We're like, I, we're not going to be close. It's just not going to be a thing, right? Like, it's just weird. Like, I like you. I don't like your wife. Or for a wife, I like you. I don't like your husband. I don't want to be around him. He stinks. I don't like him. You know, it would be very difficult at, to say it in the nicest words, Right? to have a close relationship with someone who didn't value or honor your spouse. Yet there are many today who have this same sort of attitude towards Jesus' bride, his church, his household. I love Jesus, but I don't like his people. I don't like his bride. I don't really want anything to do with his bride. I want Jesus. I love the idea of Jesus but don't make me be around the people of Jesus, the bride of Jesus. And, it, it, and if we can put it into those sorts of terms, because again, 
This isn't me just coming up with some sort of like illustration. This is, this is biblical. This is a biblical illustration. It's a biblical example. It's what Jesus calls us. And so when we want to distance ourselves, right, from Jesus' bride, his church, his household, it's treating Jesus' bride with contempt. And it's, and it's really, if we think about it in those terms, it's unacceptable for that kind of attitude to be coming from someone who claims to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I think when we, we can see how committed Jesus was to his disciples, when we can see from the New Testament how com- committed Jesus is to us as his people, even the things that we've still yet to even step into in the future that Jesus has committed himself. He's, he's faithfully promised that he's going to bring us to be with him. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. He, he's got this amazing future and glory for us. That, for me, screams that Jesus couldn't be more committed to you and me. We, we've got to, like, that's got to do something to us. That's got to shape how we view Jesus' church. Now, that doesn't mean we have like rose-colored glasses and we just like, we don't see that there's problems in the church. That's not that. But we don't see problems and go, I'm just gonna cut that off completely. Like We've been called to be, we're a called out assembly together. We're the flock of God together. And we need we need Jesus, but we also need one another. And to see, Lord, if you're this committed, my church, we're, we're your bride. Like, okay, then, Lord, help me. Help me to then respond to that in the right sort of way. Help me to see others within the body of Christ the right sort of way. I'm going to see my involvement in the body of Christ a different sort of way because I'm not just a, a, a visitor like we talked about last week. I'm a member. You're a member. We're together. We have a place. We have a role. God has a purpose for us, and we're his, and I, and I love that. You know, many today have become disillusioned with and, and jaded towards and disconnected from the church. But we, we need to be reminded. Look, Jesus isn't disillusioned with his church because he knew what he was getting when he called us to be a part of his family. He knew how messed up you are and he knew how messed up I am. And yet he still wanted us. He's not jaded toward us. Right? He sees us as his precious bride that he values so greatly he shed his blood to bring us into relationship with himself. Jesus loves incredibly and is committed faithfully to his church. And I think right away, we just it, this all kind of for me just reminds us how important it is that we have a fresh vision of, of Jesus, to be so in awe of him, to be loving and worshiping him wholly and supremely where 
where it really does change everything about you and me. And we need a fresh vision of how Jesus views his church so that we can get on board with his vision. We can get our vision in line with his. That if Jesus is completely committed to his church, and he is, then we as his people, we as his church, we as his bride should be also. Moving on, though, the, the second thing, the second important reminder to help us gain the right perspective here is that Jesus is committed to its growth. Again, Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said in regards to his church, I will build it. Right? Like Bob the Builder status. If any of you had kids that, you know, watched that show at some point in time, um, when it comes to Jesus' church, his, his bride, his body, his household, he's the one who grows and builds it. Going back to the example we're given that the, the church is pictured as a body with Jesus as the head of the body, a healthy body is going to grow and mature, right? Some of us were, are like, I wish my body didn't grow and mature the way that it has, <laughs> my body has grown, and in this new year, I'm wanting to see it shrink in its growth, right? Uh, <laughs> but a healthy body's going to grow. It's going to mature. Jesus' plan wasn't just to create the church, his body, and then leave it in sort of an infantile, small, helpless, fragile state. No, his plan was to create his church. And then to cause it to grow and to flourish and even to reproduce. We're going to dive into this in greater detail when we get there. But check out what we're told in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 16. Paul writing there, he says, And he himself, speaking of Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, the building up of the body of Christ, the strengthening of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, doctrine, doctrine but... By the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Like I said, we're going to look at this in greater detail when we get there, but I, but I do want to point out a few things here in relation to this second point about Jesus being committed to our growth. Notice that Jesus himself gave some to be apostles and prophets. These are those who he chose early on in the church to write Holy Scripture so that the canon of his word would be completed, so, so the church would be established and instructed. He gave some to be evangelists so that the gospel continues to go out. We're, 
more and more people are brought into the kingdom of God, the family of God through faith in Jesus. And then he gave some to be pastors and teachers. Literally, in the Greek, it's the pastor-teacher. It's the same person. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. We see from that passage in Ephesians 4 that Jesus doesn't want us to stay children spiritually. He wants us to grow, to to be more more like him. And, And when the body's working properly, when we're all joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, meaning that we in the body of Christ are not onlookers, we're, we're not consumers within the body of Christ, but active participating members within the body of Christ. What's going to come out of that is that the body of Christ is going to be caused to grow. It's going to be built up. It's going to be strengthened in love. This means for us that we don't have to scheme and strategize to grow Jesus' church. And that's incredibly freeing. Because when the word of God's being taught, the people of God are being equipped, when we're loving each other with Jesus' agape love, growth is going to happen. It's gonna happen. But I say that, and we need to understand that growth doesn't always look the way that we think, Right? When, we're thinking, when we think of growth, we just think of all the outward stuff. And my wife was pointing out to me recently and talking about uh, just sort of the, this idea of seasons of time and like the seasons that we see, right? And we think of things that we see in winter where just stuff starts to look sort of barren. Trees lose their leaves, right? And, and we could think like, where's the growth, Where's the growth there? And to know, right, scientifically, that the reason that they're losing their leaves is because they're sending now their, their, their roots are getting even deeper in so that they can grab as much nutrients as possible. There's a soaking in that's happening so that when spring comes, all the fruit can come like it needs to come. It's supposed to come. Right, so we think about even those barren times for us spiritually when we're not seeing what we want to see, those outward things. What God might be doing in growth in the deepening way. Where he's going, cool, I, I get it. Like you're looking out and you're going, stuff seems to be stripped away. It's falling off. Like where's the fruit? I said, where's the beef last week? I'm trying to, it's a balanced thing, guys beef and fruit there's veggies no but that God uses that that doesn't mean you're not growing that doesn't mean that God's not working if you're in a wintry sort of time you're even feeling that sort of way spiritually that God's going I want to do a deepening I want to get your roots down deeper into me so instead of looking at the outward stuff and going, oh God, what's, what's happening? What are you doing? Why aren't you working? What, why aren't things changing? To go, God, what are you wanting to deepen me in? How are you wanting to draw me in even deeper in you? 
sending my roots down so that that soaking up spiritually can happen. So that when you're ready and outward things are going to grow, you, you've already been doing a work there and you're going to bring it about at the right time because you're the one that makes my life fruitful. And can we just grab a hold of that for some of us this morning to go, I'm, I'm going to be confident in that. It might be hard for me to see it outwardly and be confident because of what I'm seeing physically or relationally or financially. But spiritually, can we be confident of those things, those spiritual principles that we see that God has given us even in nature to know that if he's got you in that sort of season, he's got a plan, he's got a purpose, he's working, he is still growing you but the growth might look a little different than what you're expecting. And that happens in the church. That happens with us. If if we're thinking about growth, we're talking about growth, and we're going, well, how come we're not packing this place out? Why aren't we, I mean, occasionally we put out an extra row of chairs, but how come that's not happening? How come come we don't have two services yet? I mean, we're 10 years in ministry-wise. that we don't control the growth. And the growth is not always numeric. Right? So, God does something. There's a deepening work, right? Sometimes we've seen that in seasons. We've seen numeric growth, then we see a deepening work. Not numeric. Then we see a numeric, then we see a deepening. It's like, it's just, it's, this pattern repeats over the years. It's repeated and repeated and repeated. So if, if we're in a deepening sort of season, embrace it. God, grow me so that you can use me. Deepen me so that you can cause me to flourish and be fruitful. God, make me more confident in you and humble before you. So that I can be that man or woman you want me to be who can be the witness that you called me to be. God, do those things and do that in us as a church in this season. And he'll do that numeric thing too. That part of that reproduction part isn't, is where we as the sheep of God As the people of God are taking the gospel of Jesus to others, they get saved. They become discipled. That's if it's if it's pulpit ministry centric, and if 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 they're not coming here, if they're not hearing the gospel here, then it's not gonna happen. Guys, don't expect a lot of fruit to come. I said it last week, it starts with you and me. We're the people. We're the people, we're the witnesses, individually even, that Jesus has put in a neighborhood, in a family, in a friend circle, in a workplace. He's not put me there. He's put you there. He's put me where he's put me, right? And, and for us to just go, okay, Lord, what do you have then? What do you want to do? And, and maybe seeing some of those areas of weakness in, in your life or in my life where we're going, I, maybe I lack in boldness. Maybe I, 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 I'm not as confident in you as I should be. And to bring those things to him and go, God, do a work there. Lord, embolden me. 
and empower me. Give me words to speak and help me to have your love for people. And then, Lord, send me out each day. Send me out from my bed to interact with my family. Lord, send me out into my workplace. Send me out into my neighborhood. Send me out into that grocery store. Lord, make me a witness to you wherever I go. Jesus is responsible for the growth of his church, but we also are responsible to respond to the ways that he desires for that growth to take place. He wants us to play our parts within the body, every part doing its share. Us loving one another. Discipleship taking place. Personal evangelism happening. Where we're taking the gospel with us wherever we go. Jesus is completely committed to the growth of his church. And we need to be also. The third thing though. The third thing to shape our perspective. Is that Jesus is committed to its protection. The church's protection. Again, Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said in regards to his church that the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The the first thing this tells us is that the gates of Hades are going to try and prevail against Jesus' church. Right? Spiritual opposition to Jesus' church has been happening for almost 2,000 years now. And our spiritual enemy, the demonic realm, is not going to stop trying to destroy the church, you and me, until the church is taken away when Jesus raptures us in the clouds. Now, opposition from outside of the church can take a lot of different forms, whether that's through atheistic and humanistic voices that oppose our God, oppose his church, or oppressive governments like many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are living under in different parts of our world have to meet in secret because they'll be imprisoned or killed for confessing Jesus as their Lord who can't even own a Bible. We are very privileged here. Or just general persecution for holding to the truth of God's word, not wavering on calling sin what God calls sin. Or letting people know that there's only one way to the Father, only one way to heaven, only one way to have eternal life, and that's through having a personal saving relationship with Jesus. Persecution from outside the church has only ever served to purify Jesus' church and cause it to grow, to spread. But it hasn't put a stop to Jesus' church existing or even thriving but, but the opposition doesn't just come from outside of the church. If the enemy can't destroy us from the outside, they'll seek to destroy us from the inside. This could be through wolves and sheep's clothing who come in to steal people away through false teaching. Or divisive people who come in to create division and strife and confusion and chaos within the church. Or even just division between believers in the church. This could even happen through those in the church drifting away from the word of God. Compromise and sin creeping in. Hypocrisy not being dealt with. Pride running rampant to where the church really just becomes totally ineffective because it looks completely like the world, loses its saltiness, 
and is no longer shining the light of Christ. We have to be on guard against the enemy who's seeking to prevail against us. But praise Jesus, he's protecting us. He's promised not to leave us or forsake us, that the the weapons that are formed against us will not prosper, that the gates of Hades will not prevail. Nothing's going to thwart Jesus' plan. I know at times it might seem like that's not the case. Nothing's going to stop his kingdom. Nothing can destroy Jesus' church. He's protecting us. And you know, part of this protection, though, is seen in the armor, the spiritual protection Jesus has made available for every single person who has put their faith in him, who has received his salvation. Again, a passage from uh, Ephesians that we're going to dig into more uh, later on. Paul says this later on in the book of Ephesians, uh, in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 13. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So Jesus has strength. He has might for us to stand in. He has spiritual armor for us to be clothed in, so that we can withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to keep standing. I I hope we get this. Like Jesus has done everything possible to like provide protection for you and for me. We want, along with that, all of the protection in the physical ways, right? Like, Lord, just protect me. I don't want anything bad to ever happen to me or my loved ones. Like that's not the sort of protection that Jesus has promised. So when we when people develop a theology around suffering, against, uh, around you know, tragedy and different things that is not biblically based, they're all over the place, right? It's like my expectation is built upon what I think God should do for me, not upon what he's actually said he would do for me or for others. He's saying the gates of Hades, he's not saying you're never going to get sick. Nothing's bad ever is going to happen to you. Car accidents aren't going to happen. Tragedy's not going to strike. He's not guaranteeing, because he's not guaranteed any person that. But what he has guaranteed are the spiritual things, the things that, that are eternal. The gates of Hades will not prevail against you, and I've given you everything in the spiritual realm, to be able to stand against the devil. Like, what else? I get it. Like, we still want the physical promises. God, I want you to promise me that everything's going to go great. 
But you know what's going to be great? All eternity is going to be great. Like There are greater things. Remember, the greater things to come are not us having this weird, like wishful thinking sort of thing in the, in the temporal. We're going greater things because we know what God's guaranteed in the spiritual, in the eternal. Jesus is completely committed to the protection of his church. But, but again, there's still practical things for you and me. Because if Jesus is committed to the protection of his church, we also need to be. And that's not just us looking out for us. That's us looking out for each other. It, you know, we have a friend, a, a, a fellow believer, who's starting to listen to some weird teacher that's like spewing weird stuff. We gotta, hey, like, that's not biblical, like, I just want to, you know, like we need to be looking out for each other. When we see somebody who's struggling with spiritual warfare, we can see that the enemy's trying to tear them down. We need to go to battle in the, in the spiritual realm. We need to be interceding for them and, and bringing the word of God to them. When they're dealing with discouragement or they're struggling in some sort of way or, or having doubts, God wants us to look out also to be committed to the protection of one another within the body of Christ. Do we get that? We need to be committed to that. Because if our commitment is, well, I'm going to be able to withstand, hope everybody else does okay. Ah, oh, man, there. It's not looking good over there. Well, <laughs> and we just go along our business like, no, like, You've got the sword of the Spirit, and you've got prayer for a reason. Not just for you, but also for others. Remember, we're a family. Family looks out for each other. And maybe that wasn't, maybe that wasn't your experience growing up, but that is now in the body of Christ. That is now. It should be now. But moving on, our fourth and final thing here, the, the fourth perspective for us to keep in mind Again, so we can, we can really grab a hold of what this means. Be made part of the kingdom of God, the family of God, the, the building or temple of God. We need to know that Jesus is committed to its empowerment, the church's empowerment. This isn't found here in Matthew 16, 18, but it is found in what Jesus said to his disciples right before he ascended to his father, which we find in Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1. So Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 and verse 8, we're going to check that out. It says, in being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Then verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus wants to give his church, to give us his power through his spirit. Guys, what we need in our day 
in this world, in the Bay Area, in this specific little local fellowship within the greater body of Christ, what we need in our own lives personally is a genuine, powerful, fresh move and work and outpouring of the Spirit of God. He knows. He knew it. That's why he said it. You need power from on high. You need power beyond yourself. And he wants to give us the empowering of his spirit. But how important it is for us to keep that in mind and to be aware of our need for the spirit of God, the power of God. To be asking in faith. To ask, to seek, to knock. The Father gives the Spirit to those who ask. Are we asking? Are we seeking? Are we knocking? Are we dependent? Are we depending upon Him? Or are we depending upon our power? Our power. What we can do in our might. I love what God spoke to the prophet Zechariah to tell Zerubbabel, who had been commissioned with rebuilding the temple after the Babylonian captivity. We're told this in in Zechariah chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It says, So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power. But by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. How are we going to see things change in our lives, in this church, in our communities, throughout the Diablo Valley, and throughout our world. Well, the kingdom of God is not advanced through physical might or through conquering an enemy. That's not it. It's advanced as the people of God, through the power of the Spirit of God, live out the Word of God and preach the gospel of the Son of God to those separated from God who are on the road leading to destruction. God is calling us to be a church who are filled with and empowered by and are directed and led and motivated by and dependent upon the Spirit of God in everything that we are and do. You know, we can't shout grace, grace to something that we build on our own with, without the Lord in our own fleshly, human efforts. But we can shout grace and grace when it's something that God builds, when it's a work that God is doing and has done by the power and motivation and leading of his spirit. Jesus is completely committed to the empowerment of his church, and I believe our response to that should be, Lord, have your way. Have your way. Have your way in and through me. Have your way in and through us as a body of believers. Lord, move powerfully by your spirit. God, we want to receive 
whatever you have for us, Lord God, be glorified. And then just to thank him, just to praise him for that. You know, these reminders should give us, hopefully, great encouragement to give us great confidence in the Lord. The work he's done, the work he is doing, still desires to do. Knowing that we get to be a part of something really special. Again, if we've come to some of these things with sort of a jaded perspective, that we would just lay those things down at the feet of the Lord this morning. And see, God, you've, you've made us a part of something incredibly valuable, really special, that can make an eternal impact in the lives of others as we get to partner with the work that Jesus is doing in this world. And we're going to finish chapter 2 and part 4 next week. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. In closing this morning, you know, Jesus honors the church that honors him. He honors the church that honors him. He gives vision to the church that's focused on him. How are we going to get vision? If we're not focused on Jesus, if our eyes aren't on him, we're not going to catch any sort of vision from the Lord. You know what we're going to catch? Our vision of our thing, our plans. No, it doesn't work. Jesus builds and grows the church who has him as its foundation. He protects the church that's committed to him and his word and his mission. And he empowers the church that's dependent and desperate and desiring him to move and work in fresh and powerful ways continually. And maybe for some of us this morning, as I said earlier, we just need a fresh vision of Jesus. We need to be reminded of how good he is. To just be in awe of him all over again. To be reminded when Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then to love others, right? Jesus lumps that one in there. So if we're coming to the the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the, the household of God, and we're going, well, Lord, I love you. And I, I really do want to love you with our, all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, but the loving my neighbor part, I don't really want to try so hard at. We need to get our perspective aligned. We need our priorities in order. And, and I'm not saying that all of you are doing it wrong or that I'm doing it wrong, but I do know I don't always love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I don't always love others as I love myself. And I need him. I need his help. I need his strength. I need his power. I need to be reminded of how Jesus sees me and how he sees you and how he sees the lost. I need to, I need to be just, I, I need the Lord to just change everything about my thinking. Because when our thinking is brought into the right uh, alignment, when our when our thinking and our priorities are brought into the proper alignment, then guys, it does change what we do. It does change how we interact with people. And man, don't we need that all the time? Such great reminders for us this morning. And just to know, look for you this morning. Yes, there's a greater context here, us. But how about just you personally? 
Jesus is committed to your life. He's committed to your growth. He's committed to your protection. He's committed to your empowerment. Why? Because he loves you. He sees you. He's with you. And just to be confident about that this morning. Lord, God, you know, maybe some of us are having a struggle in certain areas. Maybe we're doing great. Everything's awesome. But you know what? You might not feel as awesome later this afternoon or tomorrow or next week. We could have a great, oh man, everything's great. God's good. Yeah. And we're just testifying to other people. Man, oh, I just, I see you and you're struggling and, and that's good. And we're encouraging people. And then like all of a sudden we're the ones needing encouragement. In a moment, just it can flip that quick. To know that God is for us. He's for us. And he's got us. Isn't it good to know God's got us? Not just now, but for all eternity. And he's got a plan for our church. And will we get on board with that? Amen? But maybe you're here this morning, you're going, that's all great, everything's, that's all awesome, that's perfect. But if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if your sins have never been forgiven, if you've never invited Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, um, these things are all foreign to you, but they don't need to be. They don't have to be. They shouldn't be. And I want to give you an opportunity for that to change. Because truly today is the day of salvation. And maybe for others, it's, you know Jesus, but he's inviting you to return to him. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you are committed. You're committed to your church, Lord, your bride. And as your bride, Lord, you don't despise us. Lord, you don't cast us to the side. But you love us. Lord, you're for us and not against us. Lord, you see us and you hear us. You know everything about us. You know all of our joys and our sorrows. You know those things that we're really confident in and those things that we have doubts in. You know where we're hopeful and you know where we're feeling hopeless. God, I just pray for your people this morning. God, wherever they're at in any of those areas, maybe all of them can pertain to them this morning, all of those things in different ways. God, would you minister to your people? Lord, give us greater confidence in you. Lord, would we love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? God, would we worship you wholeheartedly? God, would our lives be fully surrendered to you, Lord, dependent upon you? God, would you meet us? Would you encourage? Would you strengthen? Would you uphold? God, would you give boldness? Would you give power? Would you bring growth? Would you protect, Lord? You know the spiritual battle that's being waged even now. Lord, protect us. Cause us to stand against the wiles of the devil. To be able to withstand in the evil day. 
God, if any are in a wintry sort of season spiritually, and God, they're not seeing. They're not seeing how you're working. They're not seeing how you might be growing or doing a work in them. God, would they see, Lord, this morning? God, the growth that you're wanting to do, if that's them, is might just look different. Lord, would you cause their roots, all of our roots, Lord, to go deeper in you? Lord God, that you'd make us fresh and flourishing and fruitful. Lord, do that in us personally. Do that in our church corporately. Lord, lead us. We want to be those witnesses in the Diablo Valley and beyond, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, with our friends and family. Jesus, be on our lips when we speak of you. Sing your praise. Declare your greatness. Lord, share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with others. And if you're here this morning and you just, you need the gospel personally, you need to know that Jesus died for you. He hung on a cross so that your sins would be forgiven. Your debt would be paid in full so that you could have confidence. You could have a hope, the promise of eternity with Jesus when this life is over. If that's you, and you need to receive the salvation of Jesus this morning, would you just raise your hand? I'd love to pray for you. That's anybody at all. You're going, that's me this morning. I want Jesus' salvation. I want his forgiveness. Maybe for you, you're like, I know the Lord, but I've been running from the Lord. I've been fighting with the Lord. And this morning he's going like, cut it out. Come back. Surrender afresh. Is that anybody this morning? You'd raise your hand and go, that's me. I've had a bad attitude maybe towards the church. I've had a bad attitude towards others. I've had a bad attitude towards the lost. And this morning the Lord's going, I want to change that. Anybody at all, you would raise your hand and go, Jared, pray for me with these things. Lord, you know us, you love us, you see us, you're with us. Lord God, you know each heart. Lord, any who might not know you, that they would just call out to you, Lord. They'd invite you in. They'd confess their sin to you, Lord. Believing, putting their faith in you, what you've done for them, your death, your burial, your resurrection, all that that means for them. Would you save souls, Lord? And you have wandered that, Lord, today they would return to the shepherd and overseer of their soul. Lord, there'd be just a a recommitment of lives to you today. Any God whose attitudes or perspectives or priorities have been out of whack, out of order, that today, Lord, those things would be laid down at your feet. They'd be repented of today. Lord, that you would do a fresh work in them. And Father, we just want to sing your praise, Lord. We want to remember, Jesus, what you've done. Taking communion, Lord, the the bread that represents your body that was broken for us. The 
juice that represents your blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And Lord, we also want to do that through just getting prayed for, the prayer counselors, God. So continue to work here, Lord. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.